Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to preview MSU's non-conference game against the Baylor Bears at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit on Saturday. It's been a tough start for the season for the Spartans. Their top five rating behind the expectations for spear guard play has uh, not materialized, to say the least. Frequent listeners to the show and religious consumers of Michigan State basketball have certainly felt Rod's frustration at the lackluster start. There are four more non-conference games to go before we get to the meat of the Big Ten schedule. And as you know, we will continue to provide you with our honest analysis and opinions without trying to get too carried away in the heat of the moment. Please, please, please continue to share the show with your friends and family. We want to gather as many MSU fans as we can to our community of listeners. Our humble show is often in the top 100 of all basketball podcasts in America. And for that, we offer our thanks. We will continue to keep working to provide you with the best MSU Hoops content each and every game. Finally, a word of thanks to Matt First for your contribution to the show in Venmo. Rod and I really appreciate it. If you're so inclined to support the show financially, that'd be great. And you can find ways to either either uh, one-time or monthly contributions at our support page at tffinots.com support. Or if you're also interested in advertising opportunities, you can reach me directly at eric, that's E-R-I-C, at tffinots.com. Okay, Rod, let's talk about the Baylor Bears coming in. Uh, they're 9-0. They're ranked 7th overall in Ken Palm. Their offense is number 2, while their defense is number 42. On offense, they're shooting 46% from 3, number 1 in the nation, obviously. Number 62 from 2. They are number 6 in offensive rebounding team in the country. They get to line a lot at number 20 in free throw attempts for field goal attempts and shoot 75.5% when they get there. Uh, Their turnover percentage is not great at 103rd, but... That's about the only ding you can give them on offense. On defense, they've been really good against the threes at number 17, only 78 uh, ranking on against twos. They're not great defensively rebounding at number 159. They don't foul a lot, don't generate many turnovers. They don't play a super fast pace, but they're 4-0 against power six opponents. Uh, they have not yet really played a real big heavyweight, and this is part of a, what well, I think, I don't know if it's been announced, I think it has, but whether this is a... a We'll say home and home. I assume the next one will be a return trip to, to Texas at some point, either next year or... I believe or, Dallas. Yeah. yeah right. I think be, that's what I recall hearing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, look, Baylor, it, there were not... There were not incredibly high expectations in the preseason for this Baylor team, in part because um, the roster has flipped to a large degree right you now they've got two freshmen starting um 
and uh, some transfers. And so it, not, not that they were expected to be bad. They were still a preseason top 25. But I think it's safe to say that at least in terms of the merits of their performance, taking you know, leaving aside for a second the quality of opposition, they've exceeded expectations. I mean, the, th- the three-point shooting, <laughs> you shoot that well against air, and <laughs> yeah. you're shooting well. So they're they're really off to a phenomenal start shooting the ball. And if if that continues, I mean, if they remain, um, you know, a, a top five three-point shooting team nationally, they're going to be very, very good because they do enough other things well that that kind of shooting combined with the other things that, uh, you know, uh, offensive rebounding, for example, I think will probably prove to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, they're going to be very difficult to beat. And and I would say, I would say as of now, you know, Kansas has shown some, some issues have popped up with that team. I, I would say right now that you'd give the slight edge to Baylor in terms of teams in that conference and, and the kind of start that they're off to. Now, it is worth noting, although they've played four high majors, they haven't really played anybody who has a lot of expectations around them. They had close right. wins over Auburn and Florida. Good teams, not great teams. At least that's the perception. Yeah. Right now, they had they had easier wins over uh, Seton Hall, and I'm drawing a blank. Maybe it was Oregon State, um, somebody from the Pac-12, I believe. So they had two of those four high major games were easy wins. The other two were narrow wins over SEC opposition. So I, I do think there is something to be said for the idea that Baylor hasn't really had to prove it yet sure. against a truly great opponent the way you know by this time of the season we're in mid-December most elite teams have played other elite teams you know that's part of the beauty of college basketball is that in comparison to football is that you get these matchups throughout November and December where you know top 10 top 20 teams face each other pretty consistently Baylor is really an outlier in that respect, I don't blame them. You know, this, it's not as if you look at the schedule and say, well, that's a weak schedule. Yeah. They've played some good teams, but, uh, you know, and, and this game, for example, was it their fault that Michigan State's fallen off a cliff? No. <laughs> In the preseason, this looked like a hell of a matchup. Yeah. Um, so, but but I do think that is a fair point to make is that, yes, they're they're playing very well against the teams that are in front of them, and that's all you can do ultimately. But I don't know that we've seen Baylor really, really tested by elite opposition yet to know firmly where do they sit in the national picture. I know they're very good. The question is, are they very good or are they championship good? That's what we don't, I don't think we can really determine as of yet. Yeah, and and certainly the profile of teams changed too. We've we've seen teams who come out, you know, guns blazing at the beginning of the season, and then they just never quite able to maintain right. whatever that was, whether that's competition or just coming back to earth from a shooting standpoint. You know, water finding its level. Because mm-hmm. we've yep. seen, like you know, Michigan, for example, where they had they had a couple of great weekends where they shoot, you know, spectacular, and then 
they don't the rest of the season. So right, I don't shooting, but like you Absolutely. said, the, the rebounding is definitely more something you can sort of hang your hat on. Sort of like playing defense, you think in general that you can rely on that more than you can shooting. Well, here here's what here's what I would say about Baylor offensively, since that's where they've been really really good. Um, the shooting, the deep shooting, who knows. Yeah, you would expect it will decline to some extent from yeah. where it is currently. It almost has to. But how far, we, we don't know. But offensive rebounding, yeah, usually pretty sustainable if you can do that at an elite level. Um, I would say, although the two-point shooting hasn't quite matched the three-point shooting, it's still pretty good. And I would expect that will that will maintain. The ability to to draw fouls to get to the line that's a big deal and you know with their guard play i don't see a reason to expect that that will fall off a cliff so Mm -hmm. there are things that they do well that i would i think are probably um sustainable enough that even if the three-point shooting declines substantially they should still be a pretty good offensive team yeah yeah, one would expect. Okay, before we start talking about the players of the game, I just wanted to mention real quickly uh, to listeners that, you know, this isn't me coming at you with rainbows and lollipops, uh, but after, you know, last two or three shows, it really got me thinking about this team and sort of uh, Michigan State basketball. Uh, maybe it's also because I'm cel- I just finished celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary or I'm vacation. I don't know, but... I don't want to make people feel overly optimistic, but I, you know, there are a couple of things that I like to just get off my chest. Um, Cause I'm not quite as um, down on this team as maybe others are. And maybe it's just, you know, my personality, I don't know, but you know, I think I have a couple of reasons for being not quite as doom and gloom as some people like, you know, on Twitter or wherever are, I think, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of games left to be played. You know, the 18 big 10, four non-conference games. There are a lot of time. There's a lot of time to figure things out. And uh, we've seen plenty of teams throughout seasons where they kind of figure things out where you look and you think you've got one thing and then something happens and they are a different team later in the season. So I think, you know, there's time, there's plenty of time, you know, from a schedule standpoint for that to happen. I think, you know, Tom Izzo is the coach and he's seen about everything. And if anyone could possibly straighten things out, which definitely we've mentioned many times that there's definitely something like an off with this team. Uh, I think he'd be able to figure it out. I trust him over most anybody coaching to pull that off. I, you know, it's the same team as last year, pretty much outside of Joey Hauser. And with a good freshman recruiting class, I expect there's more in the tank for this team. And, um, you know, I'm not going to tell people that Michigan is going to turn this around, especially as we've talked about. And we're going to go into a little bit more detail with the personnel on Baylor. This is probably not the game you expect things to get turned around completely. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like, you know, it might not be as big a change. And sometimes once changes occur, they seem more obvious when you look back on them. Uh, you know, I think, you know, a good example is when Nick Ward gets hurt and then Xavier Tillman comes up the bench and suddenly Michigan State finds they had something that, I don't know, maybe they knew they had, but they weren't able to highlight it as much. But suddenly they found something that really worked really great to um, push them beyond a level where we thought possible. So I, you know, I'm not sure what, what it needs to be done. I don't pretend to know, uh, but I, I'm pretty certain that there's no one more miserable and uh, bothered by the performance than Izzo himself. And I don't think he'll stop trying until he finds something that works. And I, you know, whether he finds something or not, don't know. 
but you know, I'm going to go keep going to the Bearson Center. I'm going to keep enjoying my ice cream sandwiches, hopefully get a little better product and results in the court. And so I'm not ready to throw in the towel until he is. And I don't think he's even close to that. And so anyway, that's just my little, <laughs> my little bit before we go in to talk about Baylor. I don't know if you want to comment on that too. There are a lot, I think, I think people who have listened to this podcast from its inception and, you know, maybe even before that interacted on message boards or, or whatever with me know that I fall on the optimistic side mm -hmm. of basketball. And I think mostly in life, I, I'm, I'm a believer that, um, pessimism in general is um is a is a horrible horrible condition under which to live <laughs> and you agree. should fight yeah. it with every fiber of your being it, it doesn't you know I, i've talked about this i think on this podcast before you know there are studies that um have indicated that a a, per, a too large percentage of the population believes that taking pessimistic views, and I'm talking about on life, not just Michigan State basketball, yeah. um, somehow makes them feel smarter. Mm -hmm. And that's regardless of the actual outcome. So even if it's wrong, even if a pessimistic view was incorrect, they still feel smarter for having taken it. I, I think it's, it's a... Um, function of the human condition uh, that you have to you have to struggle to overcome because yeah. it's very easy to fall to fall prey to that um so i think i, I think i've established I've, I've done enough talking <laughs> about this subject to establish pretty firmly where i sit mm -hmm. in general and i agree with a lot of what you've said yes there are a lot of games yet to be played so there are opportunities. Yes, they have a Hall of Fame coach whom I certainly still believe in in terms of his ability to reach a team. I mean, look, there there have been, believe it or not, there have been situations that appeared even more dire than this one that they got past. You know, you go back to the COVID year. Yeah. That team was sure. that team was dead. Yeah. That team was dead. <laughs> And they managed to to pull it off, um, and we're actually playing pretty good basketball by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, all that said, though, I think you have to you have to give it to to just be optimistic blindly in the face of no evidence at all suggesting that 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 kind of view is warranted that's where i draw the line mm -hmm. i can't i can't look at a situation and say well they're giving me no reason to believe this what's i mean the closest i came is actually when i was on jack ebling's show and he asked me about the nebraska game i said yeah i think they'll win it despite the fact that they've shown me nothing suggesting that they're ready to win a road game in the Big Ten. Right. I'm basing this on 27 years and you know all that stuff. Well, that ended up being incorrect. I should have stuck with with my initial instinct, which is until they show me something, mm -hmm. yep. Until they give me a reason to believe, I'm not believing. Um, 
that is where I honestly believe Michigan State basketball is right now. Now, the, the, the unfortunate thing is, I think even in some of those losses earlier on, the loss against Duke, the loss against Arizona, they did show some signs. But in my view, they've given all that back in those two Big Ten games. Um, those were disgraceful performances. They really were. And they were disgraceful in every respect against Wisconsin and then defensively against Nebraska. I mean, I, when I when I think about that game, I think about how often they got back cut. That should never happen against a Michigan State defense. Uh, in terms of what they play, so what they what they're trying to take away and what they'll give up, that stuff should never happen. It happened repeatedly. So what does that tell you? Well, that tells you that the focus, the attention to detail is completely absent with with too many players on this team. Mm -hmm. And I, and we're not the saddest thing is I'm not talking about oh Cohen Carr fogged out or uh, Jeremy Fears made a freshman mistake. No, no, no. It's juniors and seniors doing this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. That's the problem. And, you know, to, to get a little more specific about the issues, there have been, as is predictable, <laughs> when you have bad results, you end up with a lot of, I'm just going to say it, ill-educated people um, reaching for answers and basically throwing the kitchen sink. Mm -hmm. Well, th that doesn't really help you very much because you have to understand what the actual nature of the problem is. So in this case, there's been a lot of criticism of the guys at the five spot. Right. There's been criticism not playing Xavier Booker. Um. All of that is a sideshow. It is. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You could, you would have a case and you could say, well, Michigan State can't be a top five team with the level of play that they've gotten from the five position. And I wouldn't argue with that. But there were the same guys with some of the same inconsistencies playing that position last year. Yeah. What is the essence of the problem with this team? It's a very simple thing. It's exactly the thing that had people ranking them in the top five preseason, except it's the flip side of it. It's the play of their guards. Michigan State, if they were to be an elite team, it was because their backcourt was elite. And there were reasons to expect that that would be the case. You had Tyson Walker coming off a very good season, and he's the only guy who's actually kind of followed through on that. Mm -hmm. You had A.J. Hogard coming off a performance in the NCAA tournament where he made the all region team and, you know, outplayed a couple of guys who were supposedly big names at his position in Boogie Ellison and the kid from Marquette um, and held his own uh, against Kansas State. Mm -hmm. Then you had Jaden Akins, who by the end of last season seemed to have finally gotten past his physical issues and was playing at a very high level. Then you have Trey Holloman coming back, you know, presumably would be better after going through a freshman season, and a McDonald's All-American point guard, Jeremy Fears. That shapes up on paper to be an outstanding guard group. 
And people's expectations were this is one of the best backcourts Izzo's ever had. That was the level of expectation, and it was fair. The level of play that that group collectively has provided has come nowhere close to expectations, not even close. And I'm saying that all the way around. That's offensively and defensively. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. So if you want to identify the problem, anything other than that, you've missed the point. Yeah. It's the guards. If the guards, college basketball is a guards game. Always has been, probably always will be. If the guard play was anywhere near the level of expectation, we are not talking about Michigan State sitting there with the record they've got and the performances they've put on board. They'd, they'd have some wins in some of these games they've lost, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. um, they have not received that level of play, other than, again, I, I think Trey Holloman has at least met reasonable expectations for his play. I think Jeremy Fears has mostly done the same. And Tyson Walker has, I can't say he's hit it in every respect, but he's at least been the kind of scorer that they'd hoped he would be. Yeah, I agree. I think some other, even even he, I don't think, has quite been the player I expected him to be overall, but I, I'm not going to ding Tyson the way he's played. So it's really two guys, but two guys who are starters. Two guys who people were talking about as all Big Ten caliber players, and they haven't sniffed that. So if this team is to get back on track, if if I'm no I'm telling you this, I'm I'm a spoiler alert. <laughs> if I'm to ever at some point this season say, hey, they're showing signs that they're getting better, it's going to be because of that. That's where it'll start. You know, Carson Cooper and Matty Sissoko, and you got Jackson Kohler coming back. You know, all those things are, are, you know, Xavier Booker, does he start to get more time? Hey, that's all nice. That shit isn't going to make or break this thing. Yeah. that That's upside stuff. If we're talking about just being a good team, it's about the guards, period. Everything else is nonsense. All right? So that's that's where I'm at. When, when those guys, when and if those guys start to show signs that they've decided to actually play at the level they're capable of, because that's the maddening thing and the frustrating thing about it is that we have seen, there's a reason the expectations were where they were. <laughs> exactly, right. You know, sure. I mean, that, that might sound like an obvious thing to say, but it gets lost with a lot of people. There are reasons. We're not talking about, we're not even talking about Xavier Booker and say, well, he was a McDonald's All-American. Yeah, but he hadn't done anything on a college basketball. These guys have. Yeah. The guys Recently. we're talking about have have played high-level basketball and won. So you can, now you can say, well, they've not done it consistently in their careers, and I won't argue that point. But when you see players who are maturing, who are getting older, start to figure it out in high-level games, NCAA tournament games, it is reasonable based on history to believe that they have, in fact, found that last level that they needed to access. 
And that's why expectations were where they were. I mean, it's pretty simple. So if those guys are not coming close to meeting those expectations, well, the team isn't going to either. It's that simple. Michigan State, I'm telling you, Michigan State cannot be an NCAA tournament team without vastly better play from its guards. That's it. Start with that. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're totally dead on right there for sure. And 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 here's the thing. You you have an opportunity. You you had mentioned this might not be an ideal game, you know, get right game. True. But it also represents an opportunity. And I will say this. Uh, the Big Ten is collectively off to a horrendous start. Yeah. As a league. Really, really bad. And I don't know how much Michigan State, you know, a lot of Michigan State people, a lot of fans in general, are very myopic. They're they're focused on what their team is doing and not much else. The Big Ten's off to a bad start if you're not paying attention. So why is that important? Well, it's important because it means that those remaining 18 conference games actually don't present a ton of opportunities for important wins. You know, going back to I mentioned a few minutes ago that that COVID year team, it looked very dire because they were playing a string of very, very good opponents. But the, the sunny side of that was it did give them opportunities to get meaning, not just wins, but meaningful wins. Right. And they got enough of them that it got them over the line. You know, mm-hmm. this year, it's right now with the way things look, it's kind of hard to see that sort of scenario even being possible. So when you've got a game against a highly rated opponent, um, and there are only going to be so many of those opportunities left on the schedule. It it matters, you know. Yep. So I'm not saying it's do or die in the middle of December, but Michigan State needs something to go in the positive column really yep. soon, and there aren't going to be many others. You know, they only get Purdue once. Now coming into the season, you'd say, well, that's a good thing. Now I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'd I'd really, I'd really, I would be I would be uh, feeling better about the idea of getting Purdue for a game at Breslin just because of the opportunity it would represent. Well, they don't have that, so they got to make start making these few opportunities they've got count. Yeah, and and in the opposite, of course, is also true. Where if the league is down. There are more um, there are more pitfalls that are potentially damaging to your to your resume as well. You know, if you lose a drop a game here or there. Sure. Right. Although, although I will say, the Big Ten doesn't really have many bad losses out there for you. It the problem isn't so much that it's that there aren't a lot of the upside games where okay you got a you got a quad one win. Right. Right. So in my opinion, it's more lack of upside opportunity as opposed to, oh, there's a lot of trap games that if you lose, they really kill you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Michigan's the one thing I'll say about Michigan State, they don't have any bad losses. No. You know, <laughs> the James Madison team has held up thus far. Nebraska's not a great team, but that's a road game. Yeah. Um, in the Big Ten. That's it's not, not a bad, a bad loss. Bad yeah. loss. 
no, it's it's not a great loss, but it's not a bad loss. And the others are all, you know, I mean, so they haven't done that yet. All right, well, let's uh, let's go through the personnel of Baylor. This segment is brought to you by the Brothers to Just Two Getters. It might be December, but there's always a need to make sure that you have the water effectively cleared from your house. And it's actually been a very warm December. Uh, and so it's rain more than snow right now. And so you want to make sure those gutters are clear. So if you just need them cleaned out, the Brothers to Just Two Gutters can do that for you. Uh, if you need them repaired, replaced, whatever you need, they can take care of whatever job you need with your gutters. And they do just gutters, so they're experts at just that one thing. Call them. Uh, they are located in the southeast side of the state with Greg and his team. Or you can contact Kurt and his team in the west side of the state, around the Grand Rapids, Holland, uh, Saugatuck area. You can get a, find the contact information in the podcast player below or, or in your the website at the tffinots.com, just in the episode description. Please contact them. They will do great work. They worked uh, my, my home and my wife's office. They did a great job. When no one else actually would come out, they came out in terrible weather right away, did the job. Very good good pricing as well. So you won't regret it. I've had a number of notes from other listeners who've also been very appreciative of their work. So check them out at brothersgutters.com. 10% off if you mention that for your estimate. So we'll begin with Ray J. Dennis, 6-2 transfer from Toledo, uh, Originally, people were expecting him to end up at Michigan or Illinois. Uh, he's averaging 14.2 points a game on 54, 44, and 87 shooting. Leader in the team assists uh, at better than a six a game, but a little under two to one assist turn ratio. So definitely for point guard, he's a little bit high turnovers. Uh, also playing down four rebounds a game. Yeah, he's been he's been really good. Uh, you know, he was a guy who was. Um, talked about as an as a potentially elite transfer boy even though illinois is off to a decent start you look at that team and think about if he was playing anywhere close to this level at the point you'd really have something yeah um and they thought they were going to get him because he's from he's from the state uh didn't work out and instead he's he's slipped in pretty comfortably baylor you know scott drew has done a pretty good job with short-term guys, with transfers or one-and-dones um, in recent years, especially in his backcourt, which is, you know, I got to give him credit. Uh, that's not an easy thing to do, but Dennis seems to be the latest in that line, playing very, very well. The turnovers are a little bit higher than you'd like, but boy, other than that, not much to criticize. The other guard is Jaden Nunn, 6'4", transfer from VCU, native of Flint, uh, averaging 10.8 points a game on 46, 41, and 78 shooting. Yeah, so Jaden Nunn played three years at Flint Carmen Ainsworth, and then he transferred to a, a prep school in Arizona for his final year, started at Iowa State, transferred to VCU, now he's moved on to Baylor, um, and he's given them exactly what they wanted, you know, shooting the ball very well, decent secondary playmaking, um, just a high level, another high level transfer, and you know this is a kid that neither Michigan nor Michigan State really looked at in high school. They weren't involved in his recruitment at all, and um, I'm sure he's going to be fired up to play in Detroit, <laughs> without a doubt. Next will be Jacoby Walter, six five freshman, leading the team in scoring at 14.9 points a game on 42, 38, and 88 shooting. Uh, also playing down four rebounds a game. Yeah, one of the best freshmen in America. You know, something that you're starting to see in terms of themes 
in discussing the sport lately is the difference in production between elite freshmen and elite transfers. And so Baylor has elite transfers. Obviously, we just talked about two of them, right? Yeah. But they're a rare team that they also have <laughs> a freshman playing high-level basketball, which is not the norm. You know, so Baylor is is really getting the best of both worlds. And this kid has been really, really good. He's a three-level scorer, um, good size on the wing, does a lot of things well. He rebounds, defends. You know, they're very happy with him. Playing the four, Jalen Bridgers, uh, 6'7 senior, averaging 11.1 points a game and 4.3 rebounds a game, shooting 49, 45, and 87. Yeah, he was a guy that you know, we transferred last year from West Virginia. Michigan State was involved with. And right. Mm-hmm. There was a point. There was a point that they thought they were going to get him, uh, and he ended up going to Baylor. He played well for them last year. He kind of a kind of similar to a Malik Call scenario. He decided to come back for fifth year, take advantage of the COVID year, and he's playing well. You know, giving them uh, solid production in a lot of areas. So uh, they're very happy with him as a four man. Finally, at the five, Ives Missy, seven foot, two hundred thirty-five pound freshman, averaging ten points a game and six point six rebounds a game, with three offensive boards per game, leading the team, uh, averaging uh, two blocks a game, also shooting sixty-two percent from the floor, struggling at the line at only fifty-one percent. Yeah, and this, uh, you know, Jacoby Walters was a highly rated kid as a freshman. This guy was not, not nearly the same level, and yet very productive. Um, you know, their their big man group was kind of young and unproven this year in some ways and they needed some guys to step forward and the level of productivity from this kid was not playing a ton of minutes i think he's averaging 16 17 minutes a night um very very productive on a per minute basis so they've got to be happy about that so moving to the reserves langston love 6'5 sophomore averaging 12 points a game on 49 47 boy you definitely seen the uh, trend there with <laughs> three point shoot. Yeah. Uh, 49, 47, 83 in uh, only 23 minutes a game. Yeah, really good. I mean, he was a highly rated player last year who was okay, but but wasn't maybe quite as, you know, there was some thought he might be a one and done type, and he obviously wasn't that. Uh, coming off the bench with this team, but basically the minutes are pretty evenly yeah. distributed. Playing 23 minutes a game, he's basically like a sixth starter, and he's been great. Not much to complain about, as you said, that you, know, you just look at every one of these guys and the shooting numbers are phenomenal. Josh Ojianua is the next player we'll talk about. 6'10 sophomore, averaging 5.2 points a game, 4.6 rebounds a game in only 15 minutes, shooting 79% from the floor and 53% yeah. from the line. <laughs> yeah, a lot of dunks. A lot of dunks, yeah. Um, <laughs> you see that number. Again, pretty, pretty productive on a per-minute basis. So they're getting... With those two guys, they're getting pretty high level of play. You know, we talked about Michigan State, that it's all about the guards, right? Well, for Baylor, that's true as well. The the vast majority of the production is going to come from their guards. They need their big men not necessarily be stars, but be just hold it down, yeah. just be productive. And they're, get, they're getting exactly that. That's something Michigan State's not getting right. from their fives, and Baylor is. Caleb Bloner, 6'8", senior, averaging 3.9 points a game, 3.4 rebounds a game in about 14 minutes, shooting 64, 67, and 71. So 67, I assume, is a limited volume, like two for three. 
he's kind of an interesting one because he was a highly regarded high school player and he started at BYU. Um, and I believe I didn't I didn't look up his numbers, but I believe he was pretty productive at BYU. He transferred into Baylor last year, and I think the expectation was he would be a key player for them, and he maybe didn't play as much as they thought, and that's happening again this year, but he's a talented kid. Um, so to have that guy, you know, you know eighth man on the team role, it, it, it <laughs> means you've got some decent depth. And finally, Miro Little, 6'4", freshman guard, averaging a little under three points a game in nine minutes, shooting 53, 29, and 73. Yeah, the one guy who hasn't shot very well. That's why he's playing nine minutes. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, this segment was brought to you by the Brothers of Justice Gutters, sponsoring the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. It almost seems like the entire team, but if you had to pick one player, who do you think Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter for this game? I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Ray J. Dennis just because he's the point guard. He's the guy who makes the whole thing go. I mean, as you say, they're, they're, you could pick basically four of the five starters are all um, shooting the ball extremely well, scoring it well. But I'm going to go with the catalyst. I'm going to go with the guy at the point. And so then we move on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is a great place to get your Spartan apparel. Uh, probably now might be a little tough to get it by Christmas, I think. Uh, so you can go to nudgeprinting.com. Listen to the show, get 20% off by typing Final Four as one word into the checkout. It is a great place for screen-printed apparel, whether it's T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, uh, whatever you need, they have it. They also have different vintage Michigan State logos that you can't see any, can't get anywhere else anymore. Uh, they also have other schools in the state of Michigan. So if you're house divided, someone went to Eastern, Someone went to Michigan State. You can also both get your stuff at Nudge Printing. Just go through their large selection. They have everything, I mean, honestly, <laughs> you could imagine, and then some. Uh, you can also get even stickers for your wall or your computer or a cornhole, whatever you need. So head on over to nudgeprinting.com. Check out their selection. They have new items all the time, and they do a great job with shipping and getting everything out. So you can't miss it, nudgeprinting.com. All right, so begin five keys of the game with number one, which is maybe obvious guarding the arc Baylor's been you know phenomenal from three this year so uh you know can the missions aid prevent them from hitting 46 percent clip at three yeah and look if, if if MSU can't either hold them down or get fortunate um it's hard to see a path to a win if Baylor is shooting the way they've shot over the course of this season in this game um simple as that so uh you know Baylor's not they don't take a crazy amount of threes. I think they average um, about 21 attempts a game. Mm -hmm. So decent amount, but not, you know, they're not out there flinging up, you know, 67% of their shots right. from out there. But but still, you got to lock in. And again, everybody except the five men are legit weapons. So it's, it's going to be... It's going to be very, very important that MSU stay focused because every single one of the other guys on the floor is a very legitimate shooting threat. And that's, you know, you also imagine that the importance of trying to hold that point guard, preventing the penetration, which distorts the defense, allows guys yep. to get open for three, right? And they, gotta... and they do that. And that's evidenced by the fact they also get to the line a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're right. Drive and kick, um, you know, being able to, to uh, um, 
provide containment on dribble drives. That's going to be important. Yeah, all of it. Uh, second key to the game, defensive rebounding. Uh, again, you just mentioned that this is a very effective offensive rebounding team. And so Michigan State has had variable success in this. <laughs> occasionally they're right. really good. Occasionally they're not. So this is game. You know, this is obviously well, a game where they have to be yeah, good in everything. I mean, it was something they actually did well against Nebraska and and statistically did okay. I get well Yeah, it was like thirty nine percent game was a little shaky. Yeah, was, yeah, that was not, not good. good. That was not good. Um they were better against Nebraska, but yeah, look, you got a team that's shooting the ball very well anyway. Um, the last thing you could do against an opponent like that is give them second chances. <laughs> right. For sure. Uh, so third key to the game is making shots. Nebraska game, I think we saw Michigan State shoot, I think, kind of what we expected most of the season to shoot from outside. Uh, but, you know, can they do it more than one game? And then yeah, obviously got to continue doing that, not only this game, but, you know, going forward too. Yeah, they have to they have to be able to sustain that kind of performance. That was, you know, offensively, if you're if you're looking for silver linings, which at this point is hard to do, but um that was probably the best offensive performance of the year so far from Michigan State in that Nebraska game. Now it's one game. Can you find a way to sustain that? Can you find a way to carry that over and and turn that into something that appears with more regularity. You know, that's the, the, the thing is what I will say on the optimistic front is, and we've been saying it all year, you've got guys with track records who have shot horribly. Extensive track records, not just like, you know, one year. Yeah. Right. Not one year. Exactly. Or not two weeks, just long (laughs) track records. So, the idea that there would be some level of sustained improvement over what we've seen thus far is is not reaching for the stars. That's very possible. The question becomes, how much improvement is it consistently sustained at a higher level, or do we continue to see uh, erratic performance? That Those are the questions. Yeah. But it's not crazy to think that it would happen to some extent it, it should right uh so fourth key to the game are the guards and so this is a matchup that probably you know two months ago we said this is definitely michigan state's advantage obviously they're going to absolutely guard versus baylor's guards the the script has flipped here uh but again you know you've it's not it's not crazy to think that this could flip again and that michigan state could play you know i don't know i mean i just again i think it's we have seen it in the past, so it's not like totally crazy to think that this could be one in which uh, Michigan State looks good or at least holds their own here. I mean, I think I think they did that, you know, against Arizona, which yeah, was a right. very, very good backcourt, you know. Um, they did that to an extent versus Duke with some good guards. Mm-hmm. So we have seen it even even in this year's debacle. We've still seen signs of it at times. Um, look, it's pretty simple. If they're going to do anything as a team, it has to start there. So that's why I've highlighted it as a group. It has to start with them. And the fifth and final key to the game, defend without fouling. Obviously, Baylor I mentioned earlier, they get to the line a lot. And Michigan State's had some trouble occasionally with guards on the, with their penetration. So 
they've got to prevent that from you into free throw um, <laughs> parade. Yeah, uh, again, just as we said about the rebounding, a team that is shooting this well, you can't give second chances. You also can't put them on the line with regularity either. Um, you know, your 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 hope for being competitive in this game is make them make them score in the half court, make them hit shots. And if they miss shots, rebound, and you don't bail them out by, by following them. Tall order to do all that against a team playing as well as Baylor is. But right. that's that's the formula. Well, I guess final thoughts for the game. I mean, this obviously is going to be really a hard game for Michigan State to, to pull off. Yet, I mean, I I, I guess I'd, I'd... Well, give me the first question is really is, do you expect any changes in the starting lineup? I mean, Izzo after the Nebraska game was, you know, jokingly saying that even Steven Izzo and <laughs> Nick Sanders were options at the five. I think he's really upset with that. But, uh, you know, I, are we going to expect maybe Trey Holloman to be in the starting lineup again like he was a couple times earlier this season? What do you think? Maybe. Uh, I I think a lot of that is... Um... I'm not going to say it's meaningless because obviously we've seen Michigan State get off to some terrible starts this year, which has put them in big holes that they yeah. weren't quite able to climb out of, you know. So I can't say that it's irrelevant, but um, I think a lot of that stuff is is window dressing. Here's the thing. I I do think there's something to be said for playing the guys who are earning it with their effort. Right. You know? So that would mean, well, Trey Holloman, Jeremy Fierce probably playing more. You know? Mm -hmm. There's a problem with that, though. And the problem is that, even though I think it's probably the right thing to do when you're in the situation Michigan State's in, you don't reward guys for fucking around. You know? Um, and you do reward guys who are at least trying to do the right things. But if you go that route, um, you're, you've got a limit on what you, and that's not a knock on Trey Holloman and Jeremy Fears. I think they both had reasonably good seasons thus far. They try. Um, they've been much more consistent defensively. Mm-hmm than some other guys. Um, but there's also no arguing with the idea that right now, where they are in their development, Michigan State's offensive ceiling is lower. If you're playing those guys, say, 25 minutes, and and A.J. Hogard and Jaden Akins, you know, 15, your offensive ceiling is lower. Right. So... The question becomes, can you win doing that? And that's why I think, you know, I, I'm making a long-winded uh, point here <laughs> that the the stuff about lineup changes and, and all of that, okay, there can be good reasons for doing those things. But if you think that anything along those lines is a panacea for what's ailing Michigan State, I would differ. Mm-hmm. I think the the only real answer for Michigan State is that the guys you expected to be good are good. I know that's simplistic, but I also <laughs> think it happens to be the truth. 
Yeah, well, and I think you've seen that as far as the reflection of what Tom Izzo has been doing. I mean, he hasn't been deviating a whole lot with those lines because I think he probably believes the same thing you do, that the best the best version of well, Michigan State relies on those things, and you expect it. And you've only got and you've only got so many guys, right? You know, yeah. it's yeah, not, yeah. it's the, they don't have thirty guys that they could shuffle through trying <laughs> to find the right combination. You know, they they've got the guys they've got, and and so I think if you if you want to give yourself a chance now, again, I don't don't read that to be me saying. No, you just keep throwing out the same players. Regard no, there there comes a time where, and maybe it's coming soon. I don't know, um, where you got to look at it and just say, you know what, I can't, I can't, I can't keep doing the same thing. I have to give guys who are at least trying to do the right things more opportunities. There, there does come a time where that happens. I'm just saying, if it gets to that point that has implications for what your team can be in my opinion yeah you basically you basically said i'm i'm going to prioritize the program over this team and there can be good reasons and justifications for doing that i just don't think they're quite there yet but they but they might be knocking on the door yeah cuz you don't know at some point you're like well we're not winning right now so you know Maybe maybe another combination works better. I mean, I'm not saying that's what the solution is, like you said. I don't think that's it. I think it's. A, I think if you're if you're making that move, what you're saying is, this program has standards, and I cannot allow them to continue to be eroded. So we're going to play guys who are at least trying to do the things, the basic core things that we we set as the standards of play in this program, even though their upside right now is is lower. Yeah. In other words, you're basically saying this season's shot, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to continue to allow the standards of the program to be eroded. That means more than, you know, having having the chance for this team to spring an upset or two because I continue to run guys out there who aren't doing the right things. Right. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there Uh, again. Check out our great sponsors, nudge printing at nudgeprinting.com. The brothers suggest you gutters at brothersgutters.com. Again, the contact information for the individual practice uh, businesses in Southeast Michigan and West Michigan can be found in the podcast player below. Uh, We'll see if Michigan State can turn things around, start getting playing a lot better. The game against Baylor got moved up because the lines got flexed into Saturday and uh, so it'll be an early afternoon game. We'll be here with our post-game analysis for you on Sunday and probably the same day, the pregame for the Monday night's Oakland game as we went from a long couple long weeks with not much going on to suddenly we're going to get everything crammed together for a couple days here. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.